الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين اللهم لك الحمد وإليك المشتكى وأنت المستعان وبك ثقة وعليك التكلان ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم لا سهر إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجعل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد I start by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sending blessings and salutations upon our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. InshaAllah ta'ala, my brothers and sisters, today is our first session uh, where we will be learning and discussing the tafsir of Surah Al-Baqarah. But today inshaAllah ta'ala, I'm going to give a brief introduction to what tafsir is so that we can have a better understanding of the sciences behind the study of the Qur'an and what tafsir really is. So, um, before I start talking about tafsir itself, it's important to remind myself and all of you the importance of seeking knowledge in general. We know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He told us about Adam in Surah Al-Baqarah, he tells us that he gave virtue uh, to Adam over even the angels and he gave him superiority over them and Allah establishes that through knowledge. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَعَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ كُلَّهَا So it is through knowledge that we gain superiority, it is through knowledge that we gain value. But not just any knowledge, the most virtuous knowledge that one can study and try to learn more about is the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala It is far greater and trumps any other field of knowledge It is the learning and the study of the Quran and the hadith Of the revelation that came from Allah Almighty And we know this because Allah mentions in the Quran uh, About the virtue of those who study the deen And of the scholars of the deen and those who study Allah says Those who truly have fear of Allah are the ulama, those who have knowledge. They know who Allah is, they know what Allah wants them to do, they have spent time learning these great ayat and the ahadith of the Prophet It is only through that knowledge that you will be able to gain the kind of taqwa and khashya mentioned in this verse. You also find in Surah Al-Taha, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was instructing our messenger to make dua to him, to supplicate to him, what to say. And Allah said to him, وَقُرْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا Say, O Muhammad, O Allah, increase me in knowledge. Clearly the Prophet ﷺ, when he supplicated to Allah to increase his knowledge, he is talking about his knowledge regarding Allah, regarding the deen of Allah, regarding what Allah wants us to do, the halal, the haram, the right from the wrong, etc. So this is something that we have to appreciate. Now, Anyone, if you ask them, what is the most important field of studies, they will tell you different things. But as Muslims, we should always, our answer should be the study of the deen. And this is something that sadly is not reflected in our communities uh, enough. You will find sometimes that the one who is studying law or medicine or any other field of studies that is important, seen in a higher light or a greater light or a higher regard, than the one who studies the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is of course not the case. Ashraf al-Uloom is the uloom regarding Allah Almighty, which is the Qur'an and the Sunnah. It is the most honorable thing that one can learn. Now, another thing that we have to discuss is of course, 
Why is it that as Muslims we tend to relegate the study of the deen to a certain few, the scholars, the experts? No. This deen is for the people. This book, the Quran, is for everyone. It is hudan linnas. It is a guidance to all of mankind. It is not something that is specifically for a few to read in their small halaqat. So you as a Muslim should have an aspiration, I want to learn the Qur'an. Why? Because it is the message that came to you from Allah. It came to you and I. It is a message from our Creator. And this message that came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is filled with instructions, things that we should do, things we ought not to do, uh, how we should live our life, what kind of marriage we should have. The halal and the haram Stories from the past that we can reflect upon and ponder over this, These are all messages That are coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to you So If you are an individual That uh, either don't know how to read the Quran Which is a problem that you must rectify Or you are someone that knows how to read the Quran But you don't understand a letter from the Quran And this is also another problem you must rectify And this is where the knowledge of tafsir comes in the knowledge of tafsir comes in. So I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless this, uh, these lessons in this gathering and to make us of those that benefit from the statements that come from our Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So it's very important that you actually know the message that came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And interestingly enough, a lot of people might confuse tafsir with translation, and this is incorrect. A translation of the Quran And there are many good translations and great works that have been done And it's been translated in many different languages Tarjama, translation Word for word translation This is absolutely not tafsir Tafsir is something completely different So if you're reading a translation of the Quran That's a good step But there are so much more uh, uh, there, there is so much more to the study of the Quran Than just reading the translation Because Although it's a good step to take The study of the Quran is very different Because you're actually doing a deep dive On these verses These ayahs and these passages What do they mean? What was the context behind it? What was the reason of revelation? What did the Prophet say about them? Is this, is this verse a general verse? And if so, did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Specify more information elsewhere? What did the companions say about this? What did the, the students of the companions say about this? There is so much more uh, to the Quran than just the translation Now My brothers and sisters As Muslims today That are not Arabs especially We are And even a lot of the Arabs today Because they don't even uh, The language that the Quran uh, That Allah spoke uh, And the language of the Quran Isn't necessarily the regular language That is spoken today In many of the Arab countries it has changed over time. The Amiya that they speak is not necessarily the Fusha of the Quran, right? So even they struggle. Even they struggle in the sign of the Quran because it's not the, the language over time has changed. And this is something that we can all appreciate. For example, the English language today, if you hopped into a time machine and you were sent back a couple of hundred years ago, then perhaps the usage of language that you are using now, or the English that we're speaking now, would not be the same. So the same thing uh, with the, the Arabic. The Arabic that's spoken today in Egypt or in uh, North Africa or even in the Middle East today is not necessarily a correct reflection. Meaning what? If you have a Qatari person today listen to the Quran, he'll get a lot of it because he's an Arab, but he will miss a lot as well because he's not speaking the original Arab language. We're talking about the Arabs. Now if you go to someone that does not know Arabic at all, 
in any way, shape, or form, which is most people's cases today, when they're hearing the Quran, they're not getting the message. And this is the problem. This is the problem, and this is something that we must rectify by studying the Quran. The translations were a good step, but now we also need, people need to study the tafsir. People also need to study the Arabic language so that they can appreciate this beautiful message that came from Allah. Jalla Jalaluhu. So, um, that was just a general introduction. And, I mean, I don't have to emphasize how important it is to study the tafsir of the Quran. Um, like we mentioned, if you want to know how valuable something is, or how valuable, or how uh, highly esteemed a certain field of studies is, look at what it is researching and studying and analyzing. We, when we're learning tafsir, are researching and analyzing and discussing the speech of Allah Almighty. And there is no other speech, no other written document that is more greater than the book of Allah Almighty. So studying it is clearly the greatest form of studying. And there is so much reward in doing this as well. So inshallah ta'ala, make effort into at least, if if you don't know the translation of the Quran, pick it up and read it, it's a good step. But also attend tafsir classes. And we need many more of of, of those. So what is tafsir? Tafsir is to clarify and to explain. That's what linguistically it means. And whenever we are trying to understand a term and we want to open up and really understand what a term means, especially in the Islamic sciences, what we do is we look at it from a linguistic perspective first. Now, and then we look at it from a, a religious perspective or from a technical, uh, uh, as a technical term. Let me give you an example before I mention tafsir. The word salah. Every single Muslim knows what salah is. Salah is to pray, right? Now, the salah that will come to your mind when I mention salah is the five daily prayers. But linguistically, that's not what it means. Linguistically, salah means dua, and it's still used in that way in the Quran sometimes, and in the sunnah as well. But most of the time, in the Quran and sunnah, salah will be the prayer that we know. You have the linguistic meaning, and then you have the actual istilahi or the shari meaning. Tafsir is very similar to that for you have a linguistic meaning of just to clarify something, to explain al-ibahu, al-kashfu, al-bayan. But then you also have the technical term. What does tafsir mean within the context when we are studying the Quran? Now, the scholars have given it different definitions. And uh, you have short definition and longer definitions. So some scholars said uh, it's ilmun libayan ma'ani kalami Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a knowledge that explains the meaning of Allah's speech. It's very simple. It is the knowledge that explains the meaning of Allah's speech. Uh, other scholars, they made it a bit more uh, longer. For example, a, the Tunisian Mufassir, Tahir uh, ibn Ashur, in his kitab, At-Takhrir wa Tanweer, he mentions, it is ismun lil-ilm al-bakithi an bayani ma'ani al-fadi al-Qur'ani wal-istifadatu minha bi-ikhtisarin aw tawassu'. He says, tafsir is a science that studies and analyzes the meaning behind the Quran, but also deduces from it benefits, right? Moral benefits, akhlaq uh, benefits, uh, extracts from it fiqhi uh, rulings, right? So it is not just explaining the ma'ani, but also al-istifadatu minha bi-ikhtisarin aw tawassu' So this can be done in a summarized way. So this is why you have tafsir books that are about one volume or two volumes. Or it can be expanded in great detail, which is why you have some tafsirs that are 30 volumes long. 
So in other words, tafsir is the study of the meanings behind the Quran and trying to extract benefits from them. How is tafsir studied? To understand how tafsir is studied, and, I, and this is a very important point. In fact, the main point of my talk today, which is introduction, inshallah ta'ala, and next week we'll start talking about why I chose tafsir of Surah Al-Baqarah and what will be our methodology reading it and studying it. But inshallah ta'ala, right now, the main thing that I wanted to share with you guys was how was the meanings of the Qur'an studied and what is the right methodology of tafsir studies in general. And this is something that a lot of people don't know and it's very important that you know for two reasons. One, so that if you're ever studying tafsir, you know, okay, so this is how it's done. This is our methodology, our manhajiyya of understanding the book of Allah. And this is not something that I'm making up here or another sheikh made up. This is what we have gotten from uh, the Prophet and the companions and those that came after him. There was a way that they studied the Qur'an and understood the Qur'an. And when I say study the Qur'an, I'm not talking about the study of its recitation right now. I'm talking about the study of its meaning. And number two, it's important because nowadays you have a lot of people that think that you can just open the Mus'haf, learn a little bit of Arabic, and then just think about it and ponder over it and just do it yourself. Right? We have this DIY culture now and you want to do it yourself. So open the Mus'haf and you just talk about it. And this brings about so much error, so many mistakes, so many innovations, which is why we have to follow a proper methodology. And hopefully by the end of this talk, you will appreciate how much uh, time and how much uh, detail was put into the, the tafsir studies. So, how, is, how do we do tafsir? How do you tafsir? What is the way that we do tafsir? Meaning, in other words, you have a verse. How do you extract meaning from it? How do you understand it? The first step, khwani wa akhwati fi Allah, brothers and sisters, is what is known as tafsir al-Qur'ani bil-Qur'an. It is to use the Qur'an to explain the Qur'an. It is, you have one verse stating one thing, and then you will have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say it in, in, elsewhere in more detail or explain it. So you use the Qur'an to explain the Qur'an. In other words, the first source of our understanding of the Qur'an is Allah himself. The speech of Allah. Al-Qur'an bil-Qur'an. Perhaps if I give examples, it will be more clear to you. In Surah Al-Fatiha, the first verse that you come across is what? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise belongs to Allah, the Lord of the Alameen. Alameen, it's usually translated as the Lord of the Worlds, right? The word Alameen, what does it mean? Right? All praise belongs to Allah, the Lord of Al-Alameen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Shu'ara, when Fir'aun and Musa were talking to each other, Musa said that he was sent by Rabbul Alameen. The Lord of Al-Alameen. Fir'aun then says, وَمَا رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ What is this? And then Musa says, رَبُّ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا إِن كُنْتُمْ مُقِينِينَ The Rabbul Alameen, the Lord of the Alameen, is the Lord of the heavens and the earth and everything in between. So the heavens and the earth and everything in between is what? That is Alameen. So from there the scholar said, this is what uh, this, uh, this word means. So it was, we wanted to understand this term, Al-Alameen, we used it. How do you understand it? We read another verse, another ayah in Surah Al-Shu'ara explaining that. وَمَا رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ And who is the Lord of, of the world? رَبُّ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا The Samawat and the earth and that which is in between. The heavens and the earth and everything that is in between. Right? This is known as Tafsir al-Qur'an ibn al-Qur'an. Let me give you another example. 
A lot of times we, t- we heard the word saint or wali in wali. That person is a wali, and some certain groups have taken uh, saints to a degree that they were not supposed to, or whatever the case is. So you want to find out what a wali is. So Allah says in the Quran, Allah inna awliya Allah la khawfun alayhim wa lahum yahzanun. Indeed, those who are the awliya of Allah, right? They, there is no, they have no fear, and, and, and they will have no huzun. So now you want to know, okay, so who gets to be a wali? Allah in the following verses, they are They are those who have faith, iman, and taqwa. So, when I say a wali is one that has faith and taqwa, this is using the Quran to explain the Quran. And there are many examples of this. And while we are doing the tafsir of Surah Al-Baqarah, we will come across examples of this, inshallah ta'ala. So, what is our first source of doing tafsir? So we're talking about the methodology of doing, explaining the Qur'an. The first is, you use one verse to explain another verse. You use one verse to explain another verse. Al-Qur'an of Al-Qur'an, tayyib. The other one is, tafsir al-Qur'ani bil-sunnah, or bil-hadith. To explain the Qur'an using the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, right? And... This is another source, another way of doing tafsir. So you want to find out what a verse means. See if there's another verse explaining it. If there isn't, then look for a statement from the Prophet ﷺ explaining that. And there are many of them. And in fact, most of the tafsir that you'll come across is from this nature. So, for example, the Prophet ﷺ, he, uh, he read the verse or the Surah Al-Kawthar was revealed upon him. O Muhammad, we have given you Al-Kawthar. We have given you Al-Kawthar. Now, the word Al-Kawthar linguistically comes from is something that is of abundance. We have given you something something that is uh, great and is abundant. A lot. Kathir. Tayyib. So, if anyone was reading that, they would think the Prophet was given a lot. But the Prophet said, Kawthar is Nahrun wa'adani rabbi. It is a river that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised me, and we know the river of Kawthar. We came to the conclusion of understanding what Al-Kawthar is through the statement of the Prophet, through the Sunnah. So, the tafsir of this verse was explained through the Sunnah, and there are many examples of this as well. Another one would be, for example, um, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayah in Surah um, those who have iman, Allah said, and they do not uh, mix their iman with injustice, then they will be saved and they will have amn, they will and and they will be guided. So um, the Sahaba when they read this, they were like, okay, so those who have iman, Alhamdulillah, the Sahaba they had iman. And they do not uh, uh, mix their faith with any injustice. And then they were like, okay, but who can qualify this? We all do some sort of injustice. So they became worried. They were like, well, if you're only going to get guidance and security from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you don't commit any injustice, is there anyone among us that doesn't do zulm? So they became very worried. They became very worried and they went to the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ said, Zulm here is referring, so you see they're directly asking the Prophet to explain a verse in the Qur'an. So the Prophet ﷺ said, the injustice that is referred in this verse means, have you not read in Surah Al-Luqman what Luqman said to his son? 
Shirk is a great injustice. So the zulm in this ayah is referring to shirk. Those who have faith and do not commit any shirk, they will be guided and will have safety and security. So it is not general injustice, but it is shirk that is being referred to here. The companions, they, have a mis- they misunderstood a verse, they went to the Prophet, the Prophet explained it. And then we know from this hadith, which is a hadith, what this verse means. This is known as Tafsir al-Qur'an bil hadith or bil sunnah. These two combined, the one which Tafsir al-Qur'an bil Qur'an and Tafsir al-Qur'an bil sunnah, these two is known as Tafsir bil ma'thur. It is to explain the Qur'an, to make Tafsir with the, that which has been revealed, that which has been narrated, the Qur'an and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is the best form of Tafsir. This is the best form of Tafsir. We have a third step, brother and sisters, and this is again, I'm talking about the methodology of how we do tafsir. So now that I mentioned too, if you ever attend a tafsir class, and you never hear the person teaching this class, for example, saying, well, this ayah is referring to this hadith, or the Prophet said this, or this ayah, Allah explains it elsewhere, and if you don't see somebody, all you hear is, my opinion is, and I think, and what it what I think it is just a person expressing his own opinion. This is not tafsir. Tafsir should be done in this methodology. Use the Quran to explain the Quran. Use the Sunnah of the Prophet to explain the Quran. And this is why Allah says in the Quran, And O Muhammad, we have given you the Quran so that you clarify for them what has been revealed to them. Now, this of course is referring to the Prophet explaining and teaching the meanings and the ma'ani behind the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, that's number two. Number one was using the Qur'an to explain the Qur'an. Number two was using the sunnah to explain the Qur'an. Tayyib. Now, we have also using the statements of the companions, the sahaba. Right? So, why would we use the statements of the companions to uh, do tafsir of the Qur'an? We would use them for the following three reasons. One, they are the people whom Allah has chosen to be the companions of our Prophet ﷺ, the most virtuous of his ummah, the most knowledgeable and the best. The best generation is my generation, Prophet ﷺ said, and then those who come after and those who come after. So they are the best generation, the most knowledgeable generation. They understood when these verses were being revealed, the context they were being revealed in. They were there when they were being revealed. They learned from the Prophet himself and also their understanding and comprehension of the Arabic language is second to none because they were there when it all started. As time went by, what happened was the Islamic Ummah, they expanded into different areas and different countries, which is why what is known as Al-Ujmah came into the land, meaning the clear and pure Arabic that is mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah started becoming diluted. The, the people, when they went and they came near countries such as, um, uh, when they went further into Asia or they came close to Europe, the language that the people were speaking didn't, it changed, which is natural. Different dialects appeared, different wordings appeared. So who had the most pure Arabic, under, uh, Arabic the, the Sahaba, who, who were there for the context, the Sahaba, who did the Qur'an descend upon the Sahaba? Who learned directly from the Prophet? The Sahaba. So their tafsir takes precedent over anyone else after Allah and His Messenger. So, 
and where all the companions on equal uh, uh, footing with regards to their knowledge of the Quran know you had the most knowledgeable of the companions such as Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali you have some companions that were specifically good in in, in the tafsir and some companions like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and Abdullah ibn Abbas and Ubay ibn Ka'ab so we use their statements whenever we can find them to explain the Quran as well now let me give you an example of that for example uh, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran so I'm going to read this verse and then we'll, we'll use what a companion said about this to understand what does it mean when a companion gives tafsir so uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was speaking about uh, the, the times when one can perform dry ablution. Dry ablution is tayammum. Tayammum is when you don't have water and you still need to purify yourself to pray. Then, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was talking about this and Allah says, If you are sick or ala safirin or jaa ahadunkum al ghaid or la mustumun nisa. So if you are ill or traveling or you come from the ghaid, which means that you relieved yourself, uh, or la mustumun nisa, if you have touched a woman if you have touched a woman now touching a woman so from there one could assume okay so um, when you come from when you relieve yourself and go to the toilet then your wudu breaks and when you touch a woman but then so la nisa ibn abbas abdullah ibn abbas uh, who is among the greatest uh, mufassirs those who explain the meaning of the quran from amongst the companions he said, this is referring to jima'ah, it's referring to intimate relations, it's not referring to regular touching. So we have the Abbas saying, this is referring to jima'ah, not regular touching. So from here we understand what this verse means, because Abdullah ibn Abbas said, it means this. So, the, also what you have to appreciate is that the companions, when they give verdicts on the Quran and they explain it, they would be narrating most of the time from the Prophet ﷺ himself or providing context because they were there. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said a profound statement. He's a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, there is no ayah in the Qur'an except that I know why it came down and the context that it came down and what it means. So this is Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. So this shows you that they really knew what they were talking about. They were the students of the Prophet so, there are, and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, who just said that statement, he said about Abdullah ibn Abbas, Ni'mat al-Jaman al-Quran. So, the Turjaman of the Quran, the explainer of the Quran, or the, is, uh, this is a term given to Ibn Abbas, and it was given to him by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Again, you have Ubay ibn Ka'ab, which the Prophet himself said, learn the Quran from Ubay. So, you have these great companions. Uh, you will find sometimes with the companions, if they needed to find something, they would ask each other as well. And one of them would say, well, I heard the Prophet say this. So, when you take the tafsir of the Sahaba, you will never go wrong. You will never go wrong. They are the most virtuous and the most knowledgeable among the Ummah. Tayyip. Now, if I use an example of these three companions that I mentioned, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Abdullah ibn Abbas, the cousin of the Prophet wasallam, and Ubay ibn Ka'ab, they established institutions whereby they would teach the Quran to the next generation who are who? the tabi'un right? those who met the companions but sadly did not meet who? the Prophet himself sallallahu alayhi wasallam so Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was in Kufa the city in Iraq he was in Kufa and there he established a madrasa where he would teach the Quran Abdullah ibn Abbas was situated in Mecca 
and Ubay ibn Ka'ab in Medina. And they produced students that would sit with them and take the tafsir of the Quran from them. So if we look at this, if we have Allah Almighty is uh, explaining the Quran uh, through, through the Quran, we have the Prophet through the Sunnah, now we have the companions um, who are the students of the Prophet وسلم, and the Tabi'een. So there is a chain of narration here. There is a there is a system, a methodology here, a way. No one is making it up. So they established these. Uh, uh, they started teaching the tafsir, and the companions, the tabi'un, would go to them to specifically learn the Quran. And among the greatest students of the of them was the student of Ibn Abbas, the tabi that is known as Mujahid ibn Jabr. Mujahid ibn Jabr is generally speaking known as the, 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 among the tabi'een, the one who knew the tafsir the most. And this is because he sat under Abdullah ibn Abbas and read upon him the whole Qur'an and every single ayah he would ask him about it. He said, ibn Abbas al-Qur'an He said, I read the Qur'an upon uh, uh, ibn Abbas uh, three times. Every time in the kulli ayah, I would stop him after, uh, with, at every verse and ask him what it means. Right? So this is uh, the way they learned the Qur'an. So this is why as Sufyan Thawri would say, and he's among the Salaf, he would say, if any tafsir comes from you, from Mujahid, the student of Na'abbas, hasbuka bihi, that's enough. Which is why you'll find sometimes, if you open any of the classical tafsir books, you'll find Mujahid said this, 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 this. Mujahid said this, 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 this. Who's Mujahid? Mujahid is the student of Abdullah ibn Abbas, who uh, is among the greatest mufassirs of the companions. Tayyib. So, but with regards to the tabi'un, there's a very important principle here that we need. And that is that because there were so many, there were so many of the tabi'un that especially were, were engaged in the tafsir. You have companions, I mean not companions, tabi'un like Sa'id ibn Jubair. You have Ikrama, Ata'a. You have Al-Hasan al-Basri, Masruq. You have many, many of them. Many of them. Dahaq ibn Zahim. Many of these tabi'in. Sometimes what will happen is they will disagree on a point. The Haq will say this, it means this, and Ibn Mujahid will say no, it means this. Now, there is a way of dealing with whenever these uh, great giants of, of, of ilm disagree on something, there's a methodology of how you deal with them. Sometimes, it, it, it's not directly contradictory, meaning both can be true at the same time. Both can be true, at the same time, in that, that case it's perfectly fine. And sometimes you have to, once you see that these ta- this tabi'i said this and this tabi'i said that, then you look at the evidence that they used, and maybe one of them used a hadith that is perhaps weak, or maybe uh, uh, the chain of narration here is, they will use a method whereby they would say, no, this opinion is stronger than this. Al-Muhim, but if all the tabi'in agree on something, this becomes hujjah. This is what Shaykh Islam Taymiyyah and Ibn Kathir and others have said. Ijma'u uh, tabi'een or akthru tabi'een if they narrate, most of the tabi'een if they narrate something and they say so. All of these students, so Ibn Uthaymeen, Ibn Abdullah ibn Mas'ud's students and for example Ibn Abbas's students and Ubayn Ka'ab's students and these tabi'een, they all are saying the same thing regarding a verse, then you take the opinion. You take the opinion. So let's go back, he said. The first masdar source is the Qur'an itself, using the Qur'an to explain the Qur'an, the sunnah of the Prophet, the statements of the companions, the statements of the tabi'een, especially if they all agree. طيب. Then you have using the lugha itself, 
the Arabic language. The Quran was revealed Quran and Arabian. So there is a large portion of the Quran that is easy to understand what it means because it is in Arabic language. It's not all puzzles that you have to figure out. So using the regular uh, Arabic language to understand the Quran is also a, a right way to use. And there are many examples of this that the Arabic language itself is used to, to understand the Quran. Um, <clears throat> for example, one would be when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I believe in Surah Al-Kahf, فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيُؤْمِنُ وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَكْفُرُ فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيُؤْمِنُ وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَكْفُرُ Whoever wants, let him believe, and whoever wants, let him disbelieve. And one might come and say, well, there you go. Allah said, if you want to believe, you can believe. If you don't want to believe, you don't have to believe. So, why are you guys telling us you have to be a Muslim? We have to be a believer. Allah is literally giving us a choice right here. فَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيُؤْمِنُ وَمَنْ شَاءَ فَلْيَكْفُرُ Now, we know from the Arabic language that there are asalib of speaking ways of conveying language and, and, and making points. So, it's that this is not a, a taqreer, but this uh, iqrar uh, that anyone can leave Islam or anyone can, can be, uh, you have a choice in the matter. No, it is tahadir. And this aslub, this way, is used in the Arabic language, right? So even if there's no clear hadith that says, this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, whoever wants can be a disbeliever, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, it means here that it is a warning. If you want, you can be a disbeliever, but you will have to face the consequences. There's perhaps no hadith that says that, but you can understand that from the siyaq of the lugha, the language. So that's another source. So it is the Quran, the Sunnah, the statements of the companions, the tabi'un, especially when they agree, and the Arabic language. There's another one that they mention, which is al-ijtihadu wa ra'yu. And this is a tafsir based upon opinion. Tafsir based upon opinion. Now this is, this is a very, very gray area, which one has to be very careful. The scholars say tafsiru bil ra'yi, or tafsir with regards to, I mean, when you use opinion, it usually has a lot of negative connotation with it. But it means um, there is an opinion that you can't have about the Quran. You can't just say, you know what I think it is? It, I think this I means that, and this I means that. Or just, for example, uh, there was a man who claimed that he knew what uh, the, the following verse meant. So in Surah Al-Fil, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about uh, how the Kaaba was attacked and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved it. Uh, when the elephants attacked it, uh, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent birds and these birds were throwing with him pebbles, right? From uh, and one one man said this is referring to bacteria. Bacteria, because what do you mean birds and pebbles being thrown that are fire and how is that even possible? And he said, this is probably referring to, to germs and bacteria and these, they were carrying a virus and, and whatnot. This is pure conjecture and based upon his own personal opinion and bias, this type of tafsir is the one that is absolutely muharram. This type of tafsir is the one that is absolutely muharram, that's not allowed. But when the scholars say there is a tafsir that is allowed, when one can ponder over the Qur'an, there are so many verses and ayat that speak about uh, the, the pondering over the Qur'an, the tadabbur. And if... Uh, and some scholars say this is allowed. You can explain the Quran as long as you're using the methods mentioned before. And you can say, for example, we understand from this verse, this, 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 this. We understand from this, as long as it doesn't go against 
التفسير المأثور and it is not something that is based purely on conjecture but if someone based on their knowledge and their studies then they extract benefits from this and istimbadat this is allowed istimbadat is when you deducements from the from the tafsir this is allowed but this is the methodology what did Allah say about this verse what did the Prophet say about this verse what did the Sahaba and Tabi'een say about this and you can see how the Sahaba were so keen on teaching it and then you would see how the Tabi'een themselves they taught it and they established Madaris where they taught the tafsir and it was also written down it was also written down so even Mujahid was, would write down what he learned from Ibn Abbas and many, it was mentioned that many other uh, scholars have, uh, during those times, in the time of Tabi'een even, would write down what they understood from the Qur'an. But when it comes to uh, actual books that have been authored and they are with us here till today, then look no more further than the 4th century scholar Ibn Jabrir al-Tabari and his tafsir, which is 30 volumes. So you might be wondering what is in these 30 volumes. Everything that I mentioned earlier is in it. So... Uh, the his tafsir is known as Jami'u al-Bayan and Ta'wili Ayy al-Qur'an uh, that or for short it's called Jami'u al-Bayan it's also called Tafsir al-Tabari the Tafsir al-Tabari so uh, the, the Shaykh he died in the year um, I believe 310 so his tafsir is the greatest tafsir because he managed to uh, collate all of the aqwal that are beneficial so when he is explaining a verse he will look at it from is the other ayahs that have spoken about it and then he will bring all of the ahadith related to it and then he will bring if there is a servant nuzul servant nuzul is a reason of revelation and then and he, and he's, he's doing all of that with the chain of narration so he will literally say because he's, he's early he would say hadathana fulan and fulan and fulan meaning he will bring the chain of narration all to the Prophet وسلم, or to the, whoever said the same if it's a companion or a tabi'i his tafsir is considered to be among the greatest tafasir. He will bring all of the aforementioned things. He will say, Mujahid said about this verse this. Dahak, another tabi'i said about this verse this. Ibn Abbas said this. Uh, the hadith, the Prophet said this. So it's a tafsir that is uh, bringing you all of the narrations that were uh, about that particular uh, passage or verse. And after that, he usually gives you a summary of which of these statements he thinks is the most valid and most correct and he will base it upon the evidence that have been supporting those of course another thing that I perhaps should mention is that a lot of the tafasir will have something else which is what is known as Israeliyat 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 are statements that have been uh, taken from the Banu Israel or the people of the book the Jews and the Christians and you will find Israeliyat usually when you are reading some of the stories in the Quran some of the stories in the Quran and the reason for this was because first of all the Prophet Sallallahu allowed the narrating from the Banu Israel hadithu an Banu Israel wala haraj right narrate from them and there is no problem so a lot of the some of the companions would do this some of the companions would listen to some of the Jews about a particular uh, subject related to a prophet or an incident and then they would say what they have and if it correlates with what, with what is in the Quran they perhaps would sometimes add more context and then this would be narrated one uh, main one is Ka'b al-Ashraf which was one that they would always uh, he would always narrate the stories uh, of the, uh, the people of the book 
And there are many things that today, as Muslims, we, we say, but they are from the Israelis. An example of that is, for example, Qabil and Habil, the names of the two sons of Adam. This, the names of the two sons of Adam is taken from the, the Israelis. There is no source, there is not another verse telling us, there is not a hadith telling us, there is not, uh, it is taken from the Israelis. And a lot of people say Qabil and Habil, thinking that perhaps it is from the Islamic tradition, it is not. So does that mean it's wrong? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. There's a rule, and the scholars they say, if statements come to you from Israel, there's three things that you could do. And this is based on a statement from the Prophet where he said, the Prophet said, uh, whenever the Israel tell you something regarding the religion, then don't deny it and don't um, agree with it. Why? Because if you believe it, it could be among the false things that they say. And there are many false things that they say. If you disbelieve it and disregard and deny it, it could be among the, the truth that is left in their books. So there is some truth in it, right? For example, if you open the Old Testament or New Testament and you find Adam. Adam, and you have Adam in the Quran. This is correct. You can't deny that because it's in the Quran. If it's not in the Quran, then don't deny it and don't affirm it because it could be either or. So this is a general statement And you will have some tafsir that will use a lot of Israeliyat Ibn Jabari, Ibn Jabari al-Tabari uh, The tafsir that I just mentioned earlier The 30 volumes on He brings a lot of Israeliyat sometimes And we will come across a, lot, a few of them When we are going through Surah Al-Baqarah um, They usually add more context But the scholars give us a nice qa'idah Which is that you don't use it for istidlal But you use it for istishad Meaning what? You can't use it for, as a primary evidence but, like, not even as a secondary, but like uh, after you exhaust all of your other evidences, you can just add to it to give some extra information and mentioning that it is from the Israeliyat as well. Something that a lot of the tafsirs that are authored don't do. But alhamdulillah, there are some scholars that uh, they put some commentary on it and they will tell you this portion is from the Israeliyat. One mufassir that is really good at mentioning it, if they bring you a statement or a narration from the Ben Israel, will tell you is Ibn Kathir. Ibn Kathir will usually mention it. He will say, well, uh, to add more context to this, uh, the Ben Israel have said this, 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 this. And, of course, he will tell you that this is not from the tra- Islamic traditions or from our own narrations from the Sahaba or from the Prophet wasallam, which is, of course, very important. You have some tafsir that, that use it too often, like Al-Thalabi's tafsir and others. There is a lot of Israeliyat in it. This is why... Uh, um, so uh, it's called Al-Kashf al-Bayan Al-Thalabi Al-Thalabi He has a tafsir It's an amazing tafsir as well And But Kathar Afi Al-Israeliyat He puts a lot of these stories in And some, sometimes these stories are very interesting uh, And long But there's no need to always put them And also the problem is They don't really clarify them as well So one will read that And they will think Oh okay This must be from the hadith Or something like that Which is uh, again Something that it's important It has to be clarified so you'll come across that in a lot of the tafsir books as well. Um, so now I want to talk about, now that you understood generally how the methodology of tafsir is, and I just want you to remember those five points. Use the Quran first, then the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, the statements of the companions, the tabi'een, especially when they agree, it's a hujjah, and then also uh, the Lughal Arabiyyah and al-ijtihad al-sahih, right? And this is when someone is using... Uh, the, the general understanding of the religion to extract benefits from these verses. There were many tafasirs that were written, 
this is not the place to expand upon every single tafsir. I do want to mention two tafsirs. Uh, this is for your benefit. Um, and because they've also been translated into the English language. Now, I haven't read them in the English language for me to tell you. They are really good translations. But the good things have been said about them. This is the abridged tafsir ibn Kathir in English. Right? So, the tafsir ibn Kathir has been summarized and then it has been um, uh, translated into English language. It's good for you to have that. Also, Sheikh uh, Sa'id's tafsir has also been uh, translated into English. It's usually about two volumes or one thick volume in Arabic language. But in English, it's like five or six volumes, I believe. And I've seen people that have it. I myself am planning on getting it, inshallah, as well. And I encourage you, it's a good tafsir to have as well. Now, what's interesting is, what you will find is in the Sa'id's tafsir, he will barely mention like a lot of narrations. And that is because although what he's telling you is based upon the narrations, it is meant to be a summary for the person to quickly read over it, which is perfectly fine as well. So, there is so much that has been done for the Qur'an and its study that you have to appreciate that this is such a vast uh, uh, field of knowledge and the type of things that the scholars have, have done regarding the Qur'an and its research. I mean, um, Imam Suyuti has a lot of, he has a tafsir as well, and he also has a lot of books um, dedicated to the study of the Quran and different sciences in the Quran and uh, it's it's something that if you start it's it is like an ocean one thing that I find very interesting is uh, when you're reading the Quran you will come across verses that are abrogated now this is something again that most people perhaps either don't know or don't pay attention to in the Quran you will find verses that have been abrogated by other verses right this is known as something that the person should keep in mind when they are learning the Qur'an, these things exist. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will legislate something, and then later on that legislation will be removed and replaced with another legislation. Meaning the ayah that mentioned it, it's still there, but the rule is lifted. And there's another rule that has replaced it. This is known as a nasikh wal mansukh. Very important for people to know. And the scholars would say there are this many uh, surahs that have a nasikh and a mansukh and this. So it's something again that when you're studying tafsir, you have to pay attention to. Um, the scholars went as far as to even count how many verses in the Quran. Right? And you'll have the, the scholars, they count like 6,500, 6,600 uh, verses in the Quran. Scholars went even as far as to even uh, count how many letters are in the Quran. And the reason I mention this is because this is how deep they delved into the Qur'an. Some scholars, they, they would study the Qur'an and write about just the linguistic aspects of the Qur'an and the grammatical aspects of the Qur'an and produce a whole work surrounding that. Others will focus on the uh, matters related to Aqeed and Tawheed. Others will focus on a general explanation of the Qur'an. Others will particularly focus on the Tabi'een and what they said so it's, it's, um, there, is, there are so many works done that one has to be able to appreciate that this book that we all have in our home produced volumes and volumes and volumes of work showing you the magnificence of the Qur'an. Um, uh, so one of the fields of knowledge that are exactly of the Qur'an is what is known as ayat, uh, Tafsir Ayat Al-Ahkam. So there are about 500 verses that are related to just rulings. Halal, haram, do's and don'ts. And there are some scholars that just took those ayahs and explained them. Explained them so that the person can just pick those books up and he will find out, well, okay, so this is how you do tayammum, uh, and this is the, the, the rulings regarding the prayer, etc., etc., etc. So there are different angles, different aspects of the 
the study of the Quran. But the methodology is always the same. What did Allah say? What did the Prophet say? What did the companions say? What did the Tabi'een say? Um, طيب. Inshallah Ta'ala, I'm gonna uh, conclude my introduction to Tafsir here. Just one final point is that when you hear all of this, you might say, wow, this is, this is uh, very complicated and there is so much to it. That's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine. Um, and it might even look intimidating a little bit when you're talking about Tafsir studies. Okay, so you have to, there's the Arabic language, there is the abrogated verses, there is the Makki and Madani, which I haven't mentioned yet. The Quran is split uh, into Meccan surahs and Madani surahs as well. And uh, the Meccan surahs are the ones that were revealed before the Hijrah, and the Madani surahs are the ones that were revealed after the Hijrah of the Prophet Sallallahu Hijrah is the migration. Um, and then you, you, there is uh, there is so much um, that one might feel overwhelmed or intimidated. Suffice it to say, when you attend a tafsir class and you open the mushaf and the shaykh or the ustad or the person is explaining it, you're gonna get, go, go home and have so much that you're benefiting from. Especially because the, when you read the Quran, you will get tawheed and aqidah. When you read the Quran, you will get fiqh. When you read the Quran, you will get ethics and morals and akhlaq. You will get the stories of the past. Uh, there is so much in it that you're never losing out. So I highly encourage you guys, always be involved with the study of the Quran. Even if you're not studying it like an ac- academically, just to attend the tafsir class. To, to have a look into, wait a minute, all of these verses, what did the Prophet say about them? What was the context they were revealed in? What are some of the benefits that I can take home from? What are, some, what, what are some of the things that the Sahaba said about this verse? What did the Tabi'een say? This is what you want to be involved in and you're going to benefit Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and inshallah ta'ala while we are going through the tafsir of Surah Al-Baqarah I will try my best to, to um, convey as much of these statements from the companions and the Tabi'een as I can inshallah ta'ala and hopefully especially now that Ramadan is close it can be for myself definitely and for all of you a way to Prepare yourself for Ramadan Start getting into the habit of reading the Quran Studying the Quran, learning the Quran And appreciate the sciences behind it as well Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah